If you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. It's Proverbs, chapter 9. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered the beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets, abuse, gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, for he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to the wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. For by me your ways will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you will bear it alone. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him, hear, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Please be seated. Last week, we started the final two chapters of Solomon's introduction. It's the culmination of a lifetime of teaching from father to son. We, say, we see Lady Wisdom crying aloud in the streets for all to hear. We heard her cry out to the simple, to the foolish, to those that need her the most. We talked about how her words are upright, they're noble, they're reliable, and they're true. They're more precious than gold or silver or riches. She offers anyone who asks for it counsel, insight, wisdom, and strength. She stands in the open for all to see and then cries out for men to come and find her. We saw that wisdom was there at creation when the heavens and the earth were formed. We see that God delighted in his wisdom and the wisdom delights in God's creation. We spent four months being told to seek wisdom, run from folly. We've heard it over and over again, the value of wisdom. And we've seen that there's only two paths. There's only two paths in life, and that's life or death. And our text today will hear from both Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly, and we'll be left with a choice, choosing wisdom or choosing folly. There's no third option. There's no shades of gray in this. There's only wisdom or folly. If we're not on the path of wisdom, you are on the path of folly. Solomon leaves us with a binary choice. It's not choose one of them or choose a third way. It is a very simple, you're either on it or you're not. As we wrap up this introduction to Proverbs, we're left with a final warning that these two paths have an end. And that end is either going to be life or it's going to be death. 
It's the same choice that God gave his people in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when he said, for this commandment I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It, it, it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good or death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare you to you that you shall surely perish. This final chapter of Solomon's introduction, we're going to see a picture of two feasts taking place. A feast of wisdom and the, fe and the feast of folly. And we'll be left with a choice that we must make. We will attend one of the two feasts. It's only a question of which feast we will attend. So read with me beginning in verse 1 of our text. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. And she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call to the, from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So we see before an invitation is ever made, Lady Wisdom has diligently prepared for her guests. She's built a lavish house to receive these guests. If you imagine in ancient Jerusalem, have very limited space in the city, and a home large enough for even one pillar would be extremely rare. But wisdom has prepared a home that, is, that requires seven pillars. It's much like a palace that we see. Lady Wisdom builds this home for the purpose of this feast. Wisdom herself slaughters and prepares the food. She prepares fine mixed wine. She sets a luxurious table, and she prepares a lavish feast. Wisdom has worked diligently. She's planned and she's prepared for this feast. And only once she's prepared, that's when she sends out her young women to call from the highest places in town to send out her invitation. Now, if we think about the historical context of this, it's a little bit odd. A woman would have never built a house. Um, a woman, not even a, a queen, would be allowed to go out into the city and invite males to a feast. But we have to remember that this is poetic language we have here. It's wisdom literature. It's a personification of an attribute of God. The servants here are the people closest to the host with the most intimate relationship with wisdom. They're the most trusted of those that have come to wisdom. They're the sages, the prophets, the teachers, the wise mother and father of Proverbs. They are the messengers that Lady Wisdom sends out to call all those who would hear to the feast. And these messengers not only sent out the invitation, but then accompany their guests safely to the feast. An example of these messengers would be what Paul wrote of in Ephesians chapter 4. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So wisdom sends out her messengers, not to the nobility of the city, not to the rich, but to the simple. And she invites them, come and eat and drink at this lavish feast. Eat at no cost to you, no work for you. Just come and partake in the feast that she has prepared for you. All that's required of the guests that are invited are to come and walk through the doors of Lady Wisdom's house. If we continue in verse 7 of our text, we see the opposing responses to this invitation. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. But if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Solomon drops the metaphor in these verses, takes a direct and literal approach to the story. We see two responses and only two responses to wisdom. You're either going to receive it, to hold on to it, to treasure it, or you're going to mock it. The scoffer here is not a picture of someone that just has not yet yielded to wisdom, but rather one who openly mocks wisdom, one that will not humble himself to any authority, one that has actively chosen his path. But for those that choose wisdom, they will love reproof, as well as the one that reproves them. One that listens to instruction will become yet wiser. One that listens to teaching will increase in their learning. To, to reprove or debate or attempt to even teach a scoffer will only bring you shame and injury, for it's futile. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says, A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Chapter 15 It says, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Proverbs 21 says, uh, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 said, do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. But for the man that seeks wisdom that values reproof and correction. For the man that listens to instruction and teaching, there's nothing but gain. And even the slightest bit of wisdom leads to more and more wisdom. In verse 13 of our text, Solomon goes back to the feast metaphor and shows the feast that folly has prepared. It says, the woman folly is loud, she is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, she takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks scent, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is, is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that, the, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Solomon paints a very different picture from Lady Wisdom's Feast. Lady Wisdom diligently prepared for her peace, 
for her feast, while Folly is found just sitting at the door of her house, being loud and seductive. This is rem- uh, reminiscent, I can't, can't say that word today, uh, of how we found the adulterous woman in previous chapters. She's in the darkness, she's on the street, she's seductively dressed as a, as a prostitute. Folly has made no provision for the feast. We don't see that she has prepared a meal. She has mixed no fine wine. She has slaughtered no beasts. She sits on the highest place of town. And it's very interesting here at the picture of sitting at the highest places of town. Quite literally, you can picture she has set herself up a throne in the highest places of the town. At that point in history, and for much of history until very recently, having a chair in an actual formal chair was a luxury. Even for nobility, only the king at a feast would have a chair, have a throne. In medieval times, at the grandest of balls, you would often see just one chair. Anyone else would be seated on the floor, on benches, on stools. When a teacher would become a professor, he would receive an actual chair, symbolizing the honor and authority that he now possessed. This, this idea of seating is symbolic of honor and nobility and authority. And we, we see this symbol used throughout Scripture, and it's, it's used in everyday life. The, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on the chair of Moses. For Catholics, when a pope speaks using his supposed full authority, it's said that he speaks ex cathedra, which means from the chair. Even in our own business meetings at the church, we have a chairman who has the authority to run the business meeting. So we have this picture of folly sitting, pretending on this throne, sitting from a place of authority, having made no preparations, having sent no messengers. She sets herself up on a throne at the heights of the city and pretends that she is noble. Like wisdom, folly cries out aloud, and and a decision must be made. Will we attend the feast of wisdom or of folly? Wisdom has laid out a lavish feast with the finest meats and wine, and folly offers only water and bread. But she attempts to make up by her, for her meager offerings with an appeal to the hidden and to the secret. The same thing that the adulterous woman does. Offers sweet words, offers of pleasure at no cost, but she leaves out the consequences of those hidden and secret things. She divorces the sin from the wages of sin. She offers all with pleasure, but hides all the pain that comes along with it. But her way ends in death. For those that mock wisdom, for those that remain on the path of folly, for those that reject the ways of the Lord, nothing but death and judgment await them. The feasts represent the ends of these two paths. Wisdom leading to life, or folly leading to death. And we're not just talking about the the worldly promises that we have. We're talking about eternal consequences for our choice of these roads. We cannot and will not find wisdom in this world separate from the sovereign working of a holy God. I'll say that again. We will not find wisdom in this world separate from a sovereign and holy God. And the best part is, we've read over and over again that God will freely give it to us. What do we have to do? We have to ask. The world teaches something very different than God's wisdom. 
The world wants you to believe that religion is foolishness. That man and only man can, can, can produce wi uh, wisdom. The world wants us to believe that being tolerant of what the Bible calls sin is the wisdom of this age. Denying the truth that is on the hearts of every man. That's what the world wants to call wisdom. The wisdom of the world says that gaining wealth and pleasure, that's where wisdom is found. But God's word says the exact opposite. God's word says that these things are the definition of folly. That the only beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, a right and reverent awe of who God is and what he's done. Wisdom doesn't tolerate sin. In fact, she hates it. Paul wrote of true wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, and when I come to you, brothers, do not, uh, did not come, i start over, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except for the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Wisdom has been decreed before the ages of glory. And it was fully shown in the, in the completed work of Christ. The doorway that leads to Lady Wisdom's feast is found in Christ and Christ alone. And the best part of this picture is that salvation, that doorway, it's not up to us because God is sovereign over all things, even in salvation. In the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, would, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul goes into detail about this sovereignty in Romans chapter 9, talking about predestination election, where it says, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. The very next chapter, Romans chapter 10, Paul writes about man's responsibility in light of God's sovereignty. He writes, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who called on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's sovereignty and salvation man's responsibility to heed that call. John MacArthur would call this two twin truths. He once said that election does not exclude human responsibility or the necessity of each person to respond to the gospel by faith. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Unbelievers have a responsibility to believe, to confess, to repent of their sins, but are only able to do that through the completed work of Christ. To not do that, to not do that is the responsibility. You will pay for that. Uh, you have a responsibility to do this. For believers, we have a responsibility to seek wisdom, to continue to walk in the ways of the Lord, to worship, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. As we've seen after week, after week, after week, both wisdom and folly are calling out. They're both in the high places. They're both on the street corners. They're both at the forks in the road of our life. For unbelievers, wisdom calls you to turn and repent of your simple and sinful ways. Folly cries out for you to embrace those sinful and simple ways. Wisdom declares that there is an innate value in every human being. Wisdom tells you the truth that being formed in your mother's womb, having been formed in your, in your mother's womb, having been known by the creator before the foundation of the world, having the creator of the universe know you by name, know the number of days in your life, know the numbers of hairs on your head, being fearfully and wonderfully made in the, in the image of a living God. Wisdom tells you that truth while folly comes around and says, you have no innate value. Whatever value that you have is what you're going to go earn. That value comes from pleasure and riches. It's in how much money you have. It's in what power you can get to your job. It's in how people find you sexually attractive or how many sexual encounters you have. Folly tells you that you provide your own value and you pay whatever the cost it is to get it. Wisdom offers order and meaning in life. It offers counsel, instruction, knowledge, learning, and she offers these things freely. While folly offers only the world's pleasures, but hides from you the cost of those pleasures. For believers, wisdom seeks to keep you on the path that leads to life. Wisdom seeks to conform you to the image of Christ, while folly would love nothing more than to steer you off of that path. 
So if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, I'll be brutally honest, you're on the path of folly if you've not done that. You're on a path that leads to death and eternal separation from God. I would beg each and every one of you to cry out for salvation, to cry out to God for the gift of wisdom, and to not wait on that. We're not promised another breath in this life. We're not promised to walk out of this door today. And this is why you have Solomon pleading over and over and over again with his son to seek out wisdom, find it, and hold on to it. So don't leave here today without talking to someone about your salvation. For believers, I would ask you to continue to search for wisdom because folly would love nothing more than to knock you off of your path. So seek wisdom, walk in the way of the Lord, worship rightly, and continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this repeated call for wisdom, Lord, that that the wisdom that hung the, the stars in the sky, the wisdom that formed the mountains, the wisdom that created the universe is freely offered to us, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that your wisdom made a way when we were in rebellion, Lord, to have a renewed relationship with you. We thank you for the work of your son. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.